Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Hello, this is FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. My name is Laszlo Andor, I'm the Secretary General of FEPS, and I have the pleasure and the honor today to meet the former president of Malta, Marie-Louise Correro-Preca, who is a president again because she is now the president of Eurochild, a civil society organization advocating child policies at the European level. But we have known each other since she was minister in Malta for social affairs. And maybe the first question should be about comparing these three positions. What can a minister, what can a head of state, and what can an NGO do? And what you have been promoting in these three positions, because I know that you have always focused on children and child policies. Well, first of all, thank you, um, Laszlo, and it's truly a pleasure to be joining you in this FEPS talk. And um, I feel privileged, in fact, to be uh, conversing with you. As you said, we have known each other for quite some years now, going back to my role as Minister for Social Solidarity and Family at the time. Obviously, children were at the heart of the work that I was doing as Minister, because one cannot possibly work on social solidarity, you can't work on family and not give visibility to children. I remember at the time as minister, that is nearly seven, now seven years ago, the um, social investment package, which you were responsible for. And I, even though seven years back, I want to commend you on that initiative, but also within that social investment package, the issue of children was very at the heart of that uh, social investment package. I remember the council recommendation, which you have had facilitated as an EU commissioner um, to break cycles of disadvantage, etc. So uh, I took inspiration from the social investment package and I want to truly give the meaning to what was being recommended there. And we started off by planning that our social policies will not just be on a macro-national level, but we to ensure to go down to communities, that they would percolate down to communities. And we came up with this project of bringing a network together, a, a community-level network where all stakeholders within communities, being civil society, being authorities, to work together to address poverty from its roots. And I still remember that, uh, and I was very proud of this, I still um, speak of it when you came to Malta to actually launch this uh, this project to start off um, this community-level address to poverty. And poverty, we weren't only speaking of income poverty, but we were speaking of poverty in its multidimensional approach. And uh, I must say that that project did um, start off, obviously, then I moved on to the presidency and my successes continued um, in, in that manner. Uh, as president, a non-executive president, so I could not obviously continue with my executive role, then we turned to, I set up at the time, we called it the President's Foundation for the Being of Society, and now um, I still share the same foundation, which uh, it is the Malta Foundation for the Wellbeing of Society, where advocacy was very central, but children were, are at the core of what we do. Child participation to us is very important and we've been moving on from one, one could say, one step forward to another. We have a children's council, a very active children's council. We've been taking a lot of um, initiatives whereby 
we wanted to prove that child participation is very important to develop our policies, to listen to children is a right, but it's also a, a, a huge responsibility on us adults and on authorities. So, for example, uh, like six years of work, um, we are now, one could say, bringing together a lot of effort that we and endeavors that we have been uh, doing during these six years into a very important project. It is a community-based project, which we call Community Project for and with, for Children and with Children. And with Children is very, very important. The idea is of taking up space in the core of our villages, very built-up villages and spaces where they can be safe for children, but they have to be environmentally friendly and inclusive in all its senses. So when we're speaking of inclusion, we're not just speaking of that we ensure that children with disability have access to these places where they can play. So in this, in the, but we are thinking of including each and every member of the community in there, including migrant children, refugee children, well, all children, but also the community. We want the community to support these initiatives with the idea that for the very first time, such a space is not being developed by the technical people, but we have gone through a whole process of child participation. So we went to the schools and the locality, we have been to the homes for children in out-of-home care, we have been to the band clubs, which are very, these are entities locally based or rather community-based clubs, which are very important and popular in the community, to the Boy Scouts, the Girl Guides. You know, we have been to each and every place where children are, so that we conversed, engaged with children in conversation so that they will come across and bring forward their aspirations about what they want in such a community space, which is for them, but it is with them that needs to be developed. We brought now, after this hope, um, it took some months. And one thing which is very important to mention too, for the very first time, it wasn't just speaking to children of a certain age, but through, together with the experts within the foundation, experts that are also University of Malta's experts in early childhood, we also managed to create a safe space for children at kindergarten level, that is at three-year-olds, to participate too and to come up to bring forward their aspirations for such a space. So it was a real complete process of child participation. But we did not stop there. We wanted children to present their aspirations to our politicians, to our ministers, because this project is being organized together with four ministers. We have brought three, four ministers together. That is the Minister for the Environment, the Ministers for Infrastructure Resources, the Minister um, for Local Government and Culture, and also the Minister for Education. So we have, and also the technical people. So the children are speaking to the engineers and telling them, listen, we want the, the big tree, for example, and we want an indigenous tree to be planted there. We want this space for a, a bicycle lane. So this is how we are. Again, it is a, um, so at the very heart of such a project is child participation. This is the way, because we want at the end to have a, a children's local concept so that children will continue to manage and children will, will continue to be listened to. We want child participation to be part of an ongoing structure. So through these uh, spaces, we are bringing to life child participation, children's right to play, mm -hmm. inclusion, which is at the heart of our 
human rights and children's rights. So this is a combination of a number of very important issues with regards to, to children. We hope that from this experience, then children, ch child participation will also be embraced to develop children's policies in the country. And not just children's policies, but all those policies that impact and affect children's lives. So that is what, uh, what uh, the Malta Foundation for the Wellbeing of Societies is doing. So we started off from the presidency and now that I continue to chair this. But then, obviously, I have this role on a regional level, that is Europe, the European Union, but also let's uh, put Eurochild in perspective. Eurochild is not just European Union-based organization. It is in 35 countries across Europe. And um, Eurochild is important and strong because it's strong at its membership. Mm -hmm. It is over 200 organizations in 35 countries that are Eurochild. And obviously, um, advocacy is at the heart of what we do. We, we uh, advocacy, recommending, collaborating with a number of organizations, which this is very important. Collaboration is key. Uh, at least this is uh, my belief. I'm a believer of collaborations. We can be stronger when we collaborate. And therefore, we are obviously standing up for uh, the, the, the implementation of a child guarantee within the European Union. We cannot afford to, to be complacent on the situation, not just that, that, that COVID has continued to, to impact on the lives of children, but even pre-COVID, the issue of child poverty, for example, is so real. Uh, you mentioned the child guarantee, which Eurochild is advocating today. This concept has been around in many discussions in uh, civil societies, but also the European Parliament in the past years. Uh, but some people still probably have a difficulty of interpreting it. How would you describe the essence of the child guarantee at the European Union level? Yes, we cannot afford not to have a child guarantee. Pre-COVID, we were like 23 million children in the European Union that are in poverty. And we know through now quite a number of uh, research studies by OECD, by UNICEF, by some Save the Children, so many organizations are saying that, yes, child poverty is going to compound. The effects of COVID it will increase. In fact, UNICEF um, says this is global, not within Europe, that by end of this year, 2020, 1.17 million more children could be in poverty, and that would bring the total global figure to 700 million children um, to be in poverty. And in Europe, we're not we're not outside this globe. We are part and parcel of the world, and we know what is happening around us. The socioeconomic impact is huge on families, and we know also that the most impacted are children, and those children that have been pre-COVID in vulnerable situations, in disadvantaged um, families in uh, suffering from inequalities, they are the most impacted. Mm. And we could see even from first-hand experiences, when I, I speak in this manner, I also realized that pre-COVID vulnerable children are worst off, but COVID has brought also a new sort, a new dimension, to, or rather a new cohort of poor children. As I speak, um, I am remember a child. One of these um, moments where we create these safe spaces to engage with children. A child coming from a middle-class family who used to run a business before COVID. And he was telling us, now we're eating more noodles because my father and my, my uncles are 
out of work, our business is closed. And he, it was a very innocent remark, but it reflects a lot on what is happening. Therefore, Europe cannot afford not to do something immediately. We cannot be complacent on this. We have not reached, for example, the 2020 targets, which were much pre-COVID. Mm. We have seen an increase in poverty during these last decades. We have an, a target, an, an international target, which as European Union, we are committed to as the, the SDGs, the, the Sustainable Development Goals, SDG 1 is the eradication of poverty. And this is in all its forms. So it's, we're not only speaking of income poverty, mm. we're speaking of poverty in all its forms. So if we want to be true to ourselves, if we want to be really, we stand up to our commitments, we need to do something. The child guarantee can be the solution to income poverty, to mm. access to healthcare, to quality early childhood development, which is so very important. Many a time, early childhood is the Cinderella of the whole system of welfare and social system, which we cannot afford to keep on looking at it in that manner. And we do not just say access to early childhood, education and development. We also say quality childhood, um, uh, education, early childhood education. And this is because even the professionals working in the field, they need to be acknowledged, they need to be respected, they need to be seen that they are on the same levels of all the other um, educators in, in, in our, in our um, di- uh, different countries. Unfortunately, this recognition is not throughout Europe yet. We also speak of childcare services, where we know the free access to childcare services. We have an experience in Malta. We have seen an increase um, of about 18% female participation rate in the economy by providing free childcare services. This is very important because that also impacts on income and that could also help, therefore, um, to address part of child poverty, the income, um, income poverty. So it is a, we need to go holistically and the child guarantee is providing a holistic approach to ensure that child poverty in all its forms can be addressed. And when we speak of child poverty, we're speaking of resilience in our communities. We're speaking not just the present, we're speaking of the future, of the future European project. Um, But if the European Union commits to a concept uh, or a policy like child guarantee, it also has to contribute to the resources. What is your view or expectation about yes. EU contribution to the resources to implement yes. child guarantee? I have to refer to what you have written in your document as FEPS in, in your introduction with regards to that there is a commonality between 2013 and, 20, and 2020. 2013, we were in the process when you have had facilitated the, the uh, social investment package We were in the process of the multi-annual financial framework. And we are at the same point. Yes, and I agree, really, we are at a very opportune time. If we want to be responsible, we are at the most opportune time when we are discussing budget for the next seven years. But it is not, it cannot be only a, a proposal from the commission. We need the council to approve, but not just approve, that each and every member state commits to implementing. Because it's one thing 
having a policy and a recommendation. Mm -hmm. And another thing is when we come down to the individual member state, we need to implement. And we cannot afford to have one member state believing in this, doing its utmost to deliver on what uh, the recommend, uh, recommendation says. We need the whole of Europe to commit to address um, child poverty through a child guarantee. But also the issue of uh, resources from ESF plus um, the, the European um, Social Fund plus, 5% of those resources, and this is a commission proposal, to be dedicated to children, to be dedicated to children. So there are resources. We need to manage well those resources. We cannot, I mean, rather perceive the situation in a short, a very short time frame. This will not hold. We need to look at what needs to be done today so that we can reap the benefits tomorrow. And we have to think that children are present, but also tomorrow's leaders tomorrow's um, citizens, tomorrow's leaders of our communities, of our countries. And therefore, we need to ensure that that resilience is inbuilt in our, in our present gener young generation so that it will, we will reap the benefits um, tomorrow. So the European Union is at a very opportune time, as, as we see it even from a Eurochild perspective. The, um, there, it is the moment where... You, the European Union, the mem member states can actually implement what they had agreed upon with regards to the 2020 targets, which I'm afraid we did not reach. But we also committed to the SDGs to mm -hmm. eradicate um, poverty in all its forms. And now is the moment to dedicate resources. Yes, resources are key. Yes, it's very interesting uh, that you mentioned the Europe 2020 target, uh, which I obviously believe um, is a very important tool but uh, let's be honest, in the last few years, not too many people in Brussels highlighted uh, the Europe 2020 poverty target. It is calculated every year by Eurostat, so we can follow the numbers. Uh, but um, somehow in European politics, the poverty, the question, and especially the poverty target, has been in a way sidelined. Do you think we should return to a kind of more elevated role of setting targets and monitoring them at the political level. I agree completely. We need to take that approach undoubtedly in, in terms of, however, even our, um, the issue of poverty, how the European Union perceives it. It is not the income poverty alone. I mean, because income poverty, we know how this is, uh, how this is calculated. It is the national median income, etc., but poverty is multidimensional, and we need to look at it in a holistic manner. That's why the issue of the child guarantee is so very important. And also what FAPS is recommending in the child union is, is encompassing also the child guarantee. We need to go holistic. So the, the issue of measuring poverty cannot be measured only from a um, poverty at risk um, situation, because this uh, will not reflect the true situation. It is a very one-sided way of looking at poverty and eliminating completely the multi-dimensional definition of, of poverty and also its its effects, the immediate effects and the long-term effects. So yes, I think, yes, we should go to targets, but we need to monitor continuously. Mm -hmm. we, and, we, and if we commit, we have to ensure that we do not simply have targets within a, a, a decade's time, but we need to, uh, to, to monitor each and every day. And that's why um, bringing in 
the issue of the targets within the semester is is very important because there you can look at that semester in a in a gradual from time to time and there is not too much the period of time is not too long so if we are going off route we can manage to get on route and route again so i agree with with the, with this approach undoubtedly um let me kind of return to Malta as an example, because um, exactly you mentioned the multidimensional nature of poverty. And in this approach, uh, one of the factors statisticians and policymakers use is the work intensity of uh, the households. In other words, whether both parents uh, can work or not. And Malta uh, historically was one of the EU countries with um, relatively low employment rate, but definitely very low female employment rate. And during your time, a lot of progress has been made. This um, makes me uh, think about um, and ask a question about the importance of gender equality, and especially the importance of gender equality at the labor market in terms of securing you know, a better childhood and more stable background for all children and equal opportunity in terms of the access to quality services and a decent income and a decent education? Um, Malta has made great strides in this sense, these last years especially. Within five years' time, the employment, female um, participation rate increased tremendously. And this was, uh, I would say, a cluster of, uh, of initiatives that were taken. The free childcare centers, for example, but then there were also working benefits whereby women who were on social benefits have been encouraged to get to work. But then there was this tapering um, of benefits, which also incentivized women to reach out and actually um, became gainfully occupied. Undoubtedly, bringing more income to the family um, is very important to address also um, income poverty um, that affect children so tremendously. But there also needs to be a number of other services to ensure that gender equality could be re, uh, fully implemented without creating stressors, unnecessary stressors. So even on a, on, a, on a school level, there has been quite a number of initiatives for children to ensure that on one hand, there is, uh, there is the opportunity for more women to join the, to the workforce. But on the other hand, to ensure that children are, would be getting the best out of their school experience. And I have mentioned education because I am quite worried about the issue of education now during the COVID period, where we definitely quite a number of inequalities have uh, been highlighted with, with COVID. And the issue, for example, of digital divide, the digital divide had become so, so real now. And the digital divide uh, has handicapped a number of uh, children um, due to a number of issues, like, for example, the lack of parents' agency to get to online schooling was a factor. But there are other factors, for example, not having enough hardware at home, even though in Malta there has been the initiative by the Ministry of Education to provide computers to families who lack that hardware at home. But if you had two, three children and they're doing lessons at the same time, then you, there's only one that can get to the to that computer. So the, there's a home, and and obviously uh, a number of um, 
we had quite a number of children communities that have been completely left out, like children with disabilities. So there were children with learning difficulties. So there are a number of gaps, which these are, to me, are very worrying, and we need to do something, um, even on a European level, to ensure that children will sort of, we, we can provide enough so that they can make up for the loss of their, their education. Uh, for example, a number of children have gone invisible, you know, have gone completely invisible. And this could be either due to lack of the, the, the necessary facilities at home. We have come across I have, um, children who were, they were never seen on screen mm. due to the fact that their environment at home was not something to be proud of. So they were ashamed to show themselves on the screen. There were others they could not follow because of the environment they live in. I mean, in substandard housing and therefore the environment, the noise, the the lack of space, etc. So there are so many issues even on the score. And education is key to also to address child poverty, to address poverty in general. And this really makes me very worried and concerned. In Malta, we are, the Ministry for Education has, has brought together a task force to see um, when schools open again to ensure that children who have had gaps now during these months, will um, these gaps will be addressed. Let's hope and see how this will transpire. But even on a European level, we cannot ignore we cannot be complacent on this because that's why even when I was speaking um, about the child guarantee, really the, it is so multidimensional, the, 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 the whole issue of poverty and what we need to do, that definitely this is another area that has been compounded by COVID that needs urgent attention. But we need to really search and reflect and see what needs to be done and what needs to be done has to be done. Otherwise, we will have a generation with loads of gaps. And we know that poverty in all its uh, dimension um, goes from one generation to another. Uh, Madam President, um, thank you for extending the discussion to the question of the coronavirus crisis, because indeed it adds a special challenge, a special threat, especially from the side of equal access to quality education and everyone who deals with child policy at a national or a European level should take this into account. But I should thank you for the entire conversation. I think our audience um, will benefit from the experience and also the passion you have been sharing uh, with us uh, today. I wish you a lot of success in your capacity as a president of EuroChild and uh, I think um, we understand that at the time of the COVID crisis, the EU does have a responsibility to make new steps, to launch new initiatives um, at the community level and do it forcefully, uh, supported by uh, resources and not only by guidance, which has already been around for some time. I also thank um, our audience uh, for being with us uh, today. Uh, please follow uh, Feb's talks also in the future. Um, but uh, today, um, I say goodbye to our guest, uh, Marie-Louise Coledo-Treca, former president of Malta, current um, president of Eurochip. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, 
do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.